Cute Feenstra, rock in your world. On, get ready to rock, radio. This is the Pete Feenstra feature for Get Ready to Rock Radio. Welcome to the show. Tonight I'm speaking to the powerhouse blues rock vocalist, singer-songwriter and New York Blues Hall of Fame inductee, Sally Shaw. We're talking about her brand new Live in Europe album on Manhattan Records. A trained opera singer, Sally had already made a name for herself by touring with the likes of Joe Lewis Walker and Papa Chubby, before being championed by the legendary blues producer Mike Vernon, who oversaw her suitably titled Force of Nature debut album. Since that time, she's cut the critically acclaimed Never Say Never, and now comes a Live in Europe album, which we will be talking about tonight. So here is Sally Shaw and a barnstormer of a track called New Revolution. Thank you so much. was Sally Shaw and New Revolution from the album Live in Europe on Manhattan Records. Welcome to the show, Sally. Good evening, Pete. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you, although we are sheltered apart. Yeah, we all are that now, unfortunately. Uh, must have been a doubly frustrating time for you then, as you were on the cusp of releasing your um, first live album, and then following that, um, one of your biggest ever tours, and that was a band enough to two gigs, I believe. <laughs> You're exactly right. We made it, um, our opening show was March 6th in Belgium, then we got to the Netherlands, and when we, by the time we got to Austria, uh, different countries throughout Europe were already starting to close down, and we, you know, it felt like we were back in the sound of music, <laughs> we oh, yeah. were escaping yeah. all the way back to the UK, spent two days on the road to get back, and uh, luckily I... I was able to get a flight back to New York and, and got in really before things started to close down and get very serious. Well, that's a great so analogy. Lucky. So yeah, amazing. we have to be grateful that we're, you know everyone was safe and we made it through healthy. So you know that's really you know Priority the thing that we're, we're trying to focus on. Yeah. Now you've been described uh, as the following: uh, a red hot rock singer who radiates emotional intensity, connects with and inspires her audiences and leaves a lasting impression that's larger than life. Um, <laughs> so you can't believe everything you read. <laughs> all right, yeah, but all, all that is really apparent on that uplifting song we just played, New Revolution, uh, into which you seem to pour a lot of emotion and inspiration uh, into your performance, uh, as well as just the song. Is, is it ever difficult then to uh, charge yourself up, perhaps when you're halfway through a long and arduous tour? Uh, well, you know, I never ever forget what a privilege it is to do what I do and because of that when when you you know never lose sight of you know how lucky you are to do job you love for people you love it really is never hard to find the energy the inspiration the audience you know gives abundantly their their love and support for us so you know they really make it easy 
you're only as good as your last performance. And when, when you commit yourself to being in the moment with your audience and trying to you know, deliver on a promise that you've made to people who have come out to be there for you, then no, it, that, that's easy work. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's good comment, yeah. This album features seven songs from um, Never Say Never and three from Force of Nature. Um, do you think you've you've kind of found your own equilibrium now and stuck a balance with it? With well, I'm still calling the new band, but in fact you, you've been together a few years now. Yeah, it's interesting you picked up on that because it was finding that balance was really difficult because now we're getting to a point where we have an abundance of material to choose from yeah. and new interpretations you know, of the material by the new band and just you know find, finding that sweet spot um, really took I think the better part of the first year that we were together but wow. we really gelled and come together where there's just you know such an incredible sense of communication with each other on stage and deep deep respect that we have for each other you know we are a touring family and you know i'm so i'm really so proud of of the guys for <laughs> being able to deliver 100 percent of themselves every time we take to the stage and and then you know finding the balance between um what material to pull from the the debut album and the new album and and the other covers that we infuse into the set too it's it's been a lot of work a lot of discussion yeah. a lot of trial and error yeah but i think we're there yeah i think you are and uh you know we'll, we'll talk about more about the album in a moment but um i, I think all your qualities your, your dramatic qualities if i can call them that uh are perfectly aligned with the band's uh, intuitive interplay, which can only come from doing loads of gigs, of course, and and, and playing great music, of course. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Now, apart from the uh, two unplugged bonus tracks that uh, you've got on there, the, the live set was recorded at the following places. Rapperswil Jonah, the Blues and Jazz Festival in Switzerland. That was on the 14th of June, 2019. The Elizabeth, or the Elizabeth Hall, sorry, in Hook, which is the 28th of September, 2019. And the Water Rats in London on the 4th of November 2019. So you, you seem to have sent out a, a kind of a confident statement by recording some of this album very early on in the tour. What was the thinking behind that rather than maybe waiting until you'd had a few more tour dates under your belt? Oh, I'm really glad you were asked this question. The reason was we wanted this record to be raw. Yeah. We weren't looking for perfection in the performances. We wanted to do a live album that would be as honest as possible. And catching the recordings earlier in in the tour would facilitate this vision that we had. Right. So no, no, that's, that's why we did it that way. I think it works. Thinking about all the material in general then, and more specifically... Uh, about a cover like Black Betty, where you hit that incredible note in the middle of the song, leading to a pregnant pause. Do you, do you ever use moments like that to gauge your connection with the crowd, or indeed the popularity of a song in the set list? Hmm. Uh, first of all, that mo that moment that you speak of is is one of my my 
most fearful moments of the whole show. Yeah, hitting the note. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a challenging, um, it is a challenging song to deliver and to deliver it properly. Um, but what I am really trying to focus on is just being the best storyteller that right. I can be. And I am so wrapped up in the story and the, and that's where the emotion comes from. Right. Because if you are really connected to the, the, the core, um, of what that song is trying to express, then, you know, I'm just trying to get out of the way and, and let, let that story come to life. Yeah, quite a few songwriters say that, but they don't all have your singing ability, of course. Oh, <laughs> but it, it's an interesting, interesting point. Um, now, the album was recorded, mixed, and mastered by your co-writer Henning Gurk or Gurke. I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. Um, no, Gurke. Sorry, Henning. Yeah, um, you okay. used used to write and record together uh, previously uh, earlier on in your career. So, what's different this time round in terms of your songwriting approach? biggest difference I would say is when when we were working on the first album this was before I was touring with my own band yeah uh, so the second album has come after I have um, spent a lot of time touring all over the world and I know who my audience is so when I was writing the second album I was actually thinking like picturing you know different people I had met and different faces I'd seen and thinking what what is the conversation I want to have with with very specific people so that allowed me to feel more comfortable in opening up and sharing a little bit more of my my personal story yeah. because I knew who I was talking to I what it didn't seem seem as though I was just writing in my own cocoon I was right. actually connecting with specific people people that I know are you know, belong to my audience family. Yeah. So, th thinking about the, the album in general, did you have a problem kind of figuring out what to leave out from your current back catalogue, such as it is? I'm thinking particularly of songs like Maybe I'm Fooling might have been one you've had in there, or indeed Beautiful, which is, as the title suggests, is a beautiful song. Yeah, uh, that is always a problem and you know my band keeps saying you know this is a good problem to have <laughs> oh, having true, yeah. too much material so we're um we are you know always trying to rotate songs in and out so that um all the songs you know get equal exposure we have not yet brought beautiful into the set right. because i just can't find a position for it that yeah yeah because firstly it was also one of the hardest songs to me to record right. and I don't know that I've quite figured out how to vocalize that song in a live setting it's it's a very tricky song because it's so easy to over sing that one right and I just haven't really found the right opportunity in in the set but we're going to be doing some more acoustic shows so I think that there's going to be uh, an appropriate context to set that song up in the right way. Well, so. we're talking about acoustic. You, you also do an acoustic version of King of Rock and Roll, which is another one of your 
absolutely splendid songs and of course uh, on this album it's it's unplugged and uh, at the end and could easily have been part of the uh, live set but uh, but you've already explained this now so um i also realized because of youtube etc not many artists include new material on live albums anymore but uh but maybe yeah maybe a couple of acoustic versions might have worked uh, of new material but um that's not going to happen now anyway so let's move on <laughs> right. something definitely for the future yeah let's sure. hope so that's, that's a good idea um before i come to the next question i want to make it clear that this is a great document of a busy tour band uh but there are a couple of things i i, I would want you to clear up if possible but on both new revolution and demolition man both of those songs have got a kind of a, a studio type fade out on the end which almost <laughs> almost kind of robs the listener of the essential connection between band and audience i think yeah so <laughs> very perceptive of you so the, what happened was there were unfortunately as happens with many live recordings we had some technical problems right, right. on on the board and there there was some digital noise yeah, that okay. was inescapable and it, and uh, we were not able to salvage certain segues because the digital noise was so pronounced on certain songs and not on others. We don't, the, the engineers still don't know what happened, but we were not able to keep certain segues intact. So we had to take new revolution from one set and then, um, damn the reason from a different show. Right. So that's why, and we, we didn't want, you know, to lie about the fact that those, those weren't performed as a segue, so that was our. It's it's no big thing. It, it just comes yeah. back to that that relationship of you being such a, a animated performer and the fact that the crowd feed off of that. And um, after such an yeah. impressive opening track, that would have been the, the perfect finish. But there's not a problem. Um, you just mentioned um, acoustic sessions. Have you done many uh, leading into this album then? Uh, we hadn't done too many. We did a few when we supported Robin Trower right. and King King. Yeah. Um, and we're going to do more of that because it it really allows me to tell the story of the songs in a different way. Right. And there are you know subtle things that I can do with phrasing and and melody to create a nuanced interpretation that is a bit different right. than full instrumental versions of songs. So it allows me to sort of um, dissect the songs and reintroduce them in a different way. So it's challenging as hell to do it. But that I love, I love, I love being a little scared. <laughs> okay. When, yeah, um, put yourself yeah, on the edge. material we're comfortable with. Yeah. Now, um, the other unplugged uh, bonus track is your cover of uh, Mick Rouse's Ready to Love. Um, yeah. Do you see covers such as that and Black Betty as a way to draw people into your own music then through your reinterpreting of those familiar songs? It, it, it definitely makes it easier. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of information you're throwing at people when you're giving them songs that are musically, lyrically, vocally intense. And, you know, I think everybody needs, you know, a little bit of a break by going to something that's familiar because there's comfort in yeah, that sense yeah. of familiarity and then this way you know there's a lot less interference between me and the and the listener and it it definitely does help 
Now you've got a five octave vocal range and uh, an operatic background with classical voice training, um, but does the fact that you obviously enjoy fronting a band, improvising and at times reinterpreting songs mean that you are naturally more drawn to blues rock than any other particularly formal kind of music? Absolutely. I When I was studying classical music, I had a Juilliard teacher that was begging me to go into opera, right. but it was far, far too structured and disciplined for my personality. And when I dis finally discovered blues rock, because I initially was into jazz, right. but I was just, it wasn't, I tried so hard to be a great jazz singer, but right, it wasn't right. working. You know, and when I finally discovered um, the classic female blues singers, it was the key, really, that, that unlocked me as a, as a singer, as a vocalist, and, you know, it, it really gave, gave me my foundation. Good stuff. I, I really try to write about things that hurt, you know, and that are more painful because... It's the blues. You know, these, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think this is, you know, we're, we all in our lives know what it is to suffer and to, to feel uns, uncertain and unsure about your life and, and the choices you've made. And, you know, I think it's a much... I think it has more value for for people if I'm if I'm talking about things that are painful for myself because everyone can relate to it. Generally, the way we write is you know, Henning will be um, working on some chords, and um, he'll either be working on guitar or keyboards, and then we together will start formulating a melody, and I'll just start singing nonsensical words over it and then once we have a melody that's clearly established then i go off on my own and i write the lyric because right. we 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 tend to write very quickly together but the lyrics are the thing that, that really take take time you've got to roll up your sleeves and and find creative ways to write something that's been said a thousand times already yeah, absolutely. In, in a, <laughs> and yeah. you know because i i've seen I've seen some of your lyrics and you're a wonderful yeah. lyricist, so you, you know what certainly. I'm talking about when I say it's not an easy job. That certainly isn't. Every time something negative happens... It's fuel for the fire. Silver, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not only um, a source of inspiration, but I know when I'm hurting, it is an opportunity for growth. Okay. Because... That's if you feel okay, things. you don't change. There's no reason to change. And it's only through these, you know, really challenging experiences that we go through in life that we're confronted with an opportunity to change. The, the, the way I write a lyric, I don't come to a song with any preconceived ideas about what I want to write about. In fact, I have a journal of ideas. Right. But I... I never have the opportunity to go to the journal to say, okay, this, I want this song to be about this and plug it in. The song tells me what it wants to be about. The energy of the song, the colors, the shapes of the chords, they dictate the mood. And from that, these, these words start to formulate. And the nonsensical words that I start with 
begin forming. Yeah, yeah, uh, often, yeah. Yeah, and then I record everything, and then I go back and I listen, and it's like the, my subconscious has already planted the seeds, and I'll go back through and I'll listen, and bam, I sang Valentina. I had no idea where that comes from, oh, but great. then then I start to pull out what those initial seeds of inspiration were, even though I didn't wasn't even aware of it when it was happening. Oh, that's great. Um, given, the, given the fact that the album is a composite of three different gigs, did, did you still in any sense try to adhere to a rough outline of what your normal set list uh, is? Yeah, that was another thing we, we talked about too, like how closely should the live album stay to the, the live show, but um, because we do mix it up with with the live show, I'm I'm not an artist who has one set set through an entire tour. You know, I yeah, because we sure. have a lot of we have a lot of fans that actually come to uh, a lot of our shows, and I and I want to keep it you know interesting, and I want to keep surprising people. Yeah. You know, so we we do mix it up. So we we weren't limited to any particular running order. Okay, let's play another song. This is called Ain't Got No Money. Sorry, sure, and ain't got no money. Another great track from the Live in Europe album on Manhattan Records. Um, that's another great example of, what, uh, of of your style, really, of a track full of bristling dynamics, great band interplay, and your soaring vocal. That must be one of the first songs I imagine you put on a set list and don't very often leave yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you're, you're right about that. It's 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 a really fun one to play live too because. Every everyone can relate to it. You know, I wrote. You know, it was inspired when I was living in Paris and literally only had a, a one euro ten yeah. to live on a day, and that was enough for an espresso and an and croissant, croissant yeah. at the bar. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's like, and you know, but it's it's fun to play now because those those were really great great days, and I've got wonderful memories and. You know, there's a lot of joy in being a struggling artist when you are able to come through it and, you know, enjoy um, the, you know, the success we're having now. So it, it really makes everything worthwhile. Well, I guess, you know, you, you've pointed to the fact that a song like that would, would, would fit into a kind of space that you've been in before, where where he got money or otherwise. But um, it, it's a song full of emotion and power. Do you, do you sometimes, as a songwriter or even a singer, feel out of step with an industry that is often more interested in the formulaic and and accountants, really? Oh, it's amazing that you would ask me this question today because this morning um, 
I was looking, uh, someone sent me something from Germany, all these, um, you know, pop artists doing, doing this video together. And, you know, I was thinking about the difference between art and commerce. Right. And although sometimes it's a perfect marriage between both and, sure. and great art can become commercially viable. Um, unfortunately, so often, and I've, I've, I've heard such wonderful musicians that never had a chance to become commercially right. viable and weren't able to go on to have successful careers. And it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I, just this morning I was thinking, you know, life is sort of like this multi-dimensional chess set. And we all live on the plane that we choose to exist. And, you know, there are, and all, all of these different levels are equally viable and they're, and they're all okay. You just have to choose where you're comfortable. And for me, I'm, I am more comfortable existing in a plane where art is the priority and if it can become successful, then that's a blessing. Yeah. But I am, I have to stay motivated to try to create something of value, um, not necessarily something of commercial success. Well, something with integrity is the, is the word you... Exactly. Need, really, I guess. But uh, Now, you started off... Um, you start getting some profile gigs with uh, playing with Joe Lewis Walker. I think that's when you were in Paris and, and later Papa Chubby. Yeah. Did, did you yeah. still have um, ambitions then to have your own solo career at that point? No, in fact, I loved being a part of Joe's band in particular, yeah. being a part of this this big operation, this sense of family, and in a support role, which I was very, very comfortable in. I honestly couldn't imagine how Joe could do television, do radio interviews, and then do a show. And I, I thought I could never do that. Right. And it was, if it wasn't for Mike Vernon saying you know, has anyone recorded a record with you? Yeah. <laughs> and him saying, no, I'm coming out of retirement to do this because you need to be heard. And, I, you know, he gave me the confidence and, and the belief in myself to do it. And now that I'm doing it and, and I have my own family and my own incredible supportive team, it's so much easier than I thought it would be. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. But did he see you as being a rock blues singer then as well? Yeah. And it was, it was because, you know, the, I'm a very passionate person. And, you know, even when I was a little girl, my, my grandmother who wanted to be a singer was really worried that I was a very depressed child. And she would talk to my parents about, um, her concern for me, and I wish I could tell her now, Grandma, I I was okay. I had the blues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all. yeah, too true. So I was a blues singer even before I understood what it meant. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna play out with your cover of Willie Dixon, uh, uh, Willie Dixon's "I Want to Make Love to You," uh, which is completely transformed, as you hear in a moment, into a, a funky arrangement by a road-tested band. So I guess that arrangement does owe quite a bit to. Ash Wilson and the boys, does it? It most certainly does. Yeah, I, you know that's that's the thing when you work with musicians, you know, like Ash Wilson, Matt Beeble, Bob Fritzema, Roy Martin. We have Stevie Watts. Also, we work with Adrian Godfrey as well. When you work with guys like this, you know, it, it's everything is possible, and 
you know, Ash had this fabulous idea about, you know, the approach for the song and, you know, you've got a really supportive uh, bunch of musicians there who really have a deep love for each other. So, you know, they were able to help support Ash's vision on this and yeah, I just love it. It's one, it's a highlight for me. It's also the kind of song that you can put your own stamp, stamp on it as an interpretive singer, of course. Well, that's the thing, you know, when, when you do covers, my feeling is you <laughs> don't try to do better than the original. Do different. Do different, You're a yeah, different, yeah, you're yeah. A different artist. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, 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 speak the song in your own voice and bring something put something of yourself into it otherwise i you know i don't really think there's a point in in doing a cover in the same way as the original everyone has the original they don't well, need another i think when it. we play this now everybody realize exactly what you're talking about okay before we go just give us your social media links so folks can check out uh, the album merch and maybe even some gigs in the distant future oh wonderful it's uh sarishore.com right. and manhattan records it's manhattan yeah. records uh facebook twitter instagram sarishore would love to see you anywhere on social media but most of all we'd love to see you when we all get through this and uh, we'll be celebrating the joy of being in each other's company again i hope before we know it Absolutely. Thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely brilliant. Kate, it's such a pleasure. Thank you, and thanks for all you do to support the blues. Thanks for listening, and good night. And for the past 30 minutes or so, you've been listening to Sari Shaw in conversation with Pete Feenstra, first broadcast on Get Ready to Rock Radio on Sunday, the 12th of April, 2020. And you can find out more information about Pete and his shows at Get Ready to Rock Radio via the website. Listen again via the Mixcloud player and check out playlists. All happening at GetReadyToRockRadio.com. From all of us here at Get Ready to Rock, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this interview and we hope you'll check out a few more in the future. From me, David Randall, from all of us here, thank you for listening.